Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity Podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. You're listening to Getting Organized Part 2 in the Start Homeschooling series. As with the rest of the series, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Cami Parks. Now, in this episode, we are going to start talking about how to organize your time, your materials, your resources, as well as some tips that Cami and I have for you from our experience with planning and organizing our homeschool day. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get started right where we left off. How much should like the structured part of your homeschool day take up? Now, side note, there are different methods of homeschooling where the structure and rhythm and things like that can look all kinds of different ways. But I'm talking about like the most common, most traditional, let's do these subjects and follow a curriculum, you know, that section of your day. I think one thing that's really important when you're planning this is to pay attention to your children's attention span. So a typical child, I think I read somewhere that starting in like preschool, kindergarten has an attention span of about five minutes. And then you can kind of add five minutes to that for every school year after that. But typically, I would say early elementary school, you're going to want to aim to have a lesson between about 15 to 20 minutes, because that's kind of the sweet spot where the kids are engaged, paying attention, and actually fully there for the lesson. If you start heading into 30, 40 minute lessons, you're totally gonna lose your kids. And once you've lost them, there isn't actually any learning happening, so you may as well just close the book. And if you notice that, you know, your lessons, like going through every single part of the lesson is taking you 20 minutes, but your child is done at, your kindergartner is done at about seven to 10, you can always eliminate things from the lesson. You don't have to do every single thing just to finish the lesson. Oh yeah, for sure. Like even just short, concise, beautifully crafted curriculums. Sometimes I got to break it up with other subjects just to be able to get through the lessons because that's where Mm -hmm. we're at that day. And most curriculum is written for those attention spans. Okay, so then as they get a little bit older and you're heading into the older elementary years, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, right? Then you can start having a little bit longer lessons, you know, 30-minute lessons, or maybe even like 20-minute lessons with 10 minutes of independent work or conversation or something differentiated, but still on that topic. They can be able to last a little bit longer, but you're still going to lose them if you try to make that extend out to 45 minutes or an hour. They are still little. They're littler than you think. And so you're going to want to just... Go as long as you've got them engaged. And then once, of course, once they get into junior high, high school, they're able to hold it together for a 45-minute class, which is what you typically see in junior high and high school. And you'll just find it's a natural progression. As they, you know, in kindergarten, you're only learning ABCs and maybe how to put together a few words. The next grade, you learn more. So you do more. The next grade, you learn more. You know, it's kind of one of those, like, learn more, do more. And, And so it it will kind of work itself up to 45 minutes in high school. And then the same can be said for how many hours in a day that you're going to be schooling. So for me personally, when I have my little, little guys, my preschoolers and kindergartners, I'm typically only going to be doing the subjects of reading and math. And then Mm -hmm. everything else is kind of on top of that. The nature study, the art, the crafts, the baking, the, you know, all the other fun things, getting outside and playing and reading books to them all that's extra on top of it that we just have in our family as a culture and atmosphere of learning. But like their main subjects, we're going to sit down and do lessons are really just those two subjects because I want to get them a nice foundation and I don't want to burn them out. Then as they get into elementary school, I start adding more subjects. First, I'll add science, then I'll add history. Sometimes you can add both. It's just depending on what you want to do. But you kind of add subjects as they get older 
add requirements, add time, make it a little more challenging and kind of progress from there. But you don't have to do all the subjects all the years. And then typically people are like, okay, well, how many hours is this going to take? And that varies family to family. I mean, how many subjects are you teaching? How many kids do you have? Right? But most homeschoolers that I know in my circles are typically done before lunch or try to be done before lunch when they're in elementary school. And then by mid-afternoon when they're in junior high or high school. Would you yeah. agree with that? I would, yeah. I mean, and just to give you kind of a good point of reference, you know, early elementary only needs about 45 minutes to two hours max, like two hours max for early elementary ages. And then later elementary, early middle school, you're getting into two to three hours. And then middle school, high school, three anywhere from like three to, I don't want to say six, maybe three to four, three to five hours. It also depends too, because if they have like online classes and transitioning between those and then extra electives and things. So it can, it can, yeah. it can reach up to a full school time day of, you know, six or seven hours. But it once again, just depends on the child and the mode of education that you're doing. And what they're studying at that time, you know? Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to read some of those heavier books and write mm -hmm. some of those essays. And it just, it just takes more time to get the work done. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that brings us to you do not have to do school all day. I know that in public school, kids start at 8, they end at 3. And so when we come into homeschooling, we tend to think that we need to be homeschooling all that, all that time or else we're not going, they're not going to have enough. But I just really want you to think about time spent in public schools that is not necessarily learning, that is needed in public school, but how much time do you use, you know, coming in for the day and hanging up backpacks and putting their lunches away and then getting into their seats and, and the teacher calling attention to it and moving from stations to tables, you know, and then you finish that up and maybe you're going to go to music class. So you have all that time lining up the class, walking to the music class. You know, there's just, there's a lot of transition time in public school, which is needed. But when you're homeschooling, you don't need to walk to music class. You just hop on over to the piano, you know, <laughs> like, or you just, you know, you get out the next books. So there's a lot of time in public school spent transitioning, recess time, lunch time, all those things that actually fills up more time in a day of public school than, than I realized when I first started homeschooling. Another thing to, to remember is that in public school, the teacher is teaching to 30 children. She has to take, she or he has to take the time to make sure that each child has the attention that they need and has the work that they need. And so there's time spent there. When you're only teaching one kid, you know exactly what they need. You know exactly when they are done with that subject. You know exactly how much, maybe not exactly, but you have a pretty good idea of how much practice they need or how much review they might need. And so you can move through your lessons a lot faster because you're only teaching to one. You know, in my case, four. But still, four of my own children is very different than a class full of, you know, 20 kids. You know, when we say you can do kindergarten in 30 minutes to an hour, you really can because you've taken out all of that extra time. Well, and you also have to keep in mind, too, what are your kids going to do when they're done with their work? 
right? Mm -hmm. Because in school, when they get done with their work, you know, the teacher will sometimes have extensions or the teacher will have at places, you know, where they sit and read or whatever else to fill that time in while they get the rest of the class ready to go. But with you getting through the subjects when you're done with them with your kids, then that opens up their free time that they're going to continue to play and continue to learn and continue to have all those fun experiences, you know, like they would have at school. At school, they have recess. At home, they have a backyard, right? Mm-hmm. At, at school, you know, they can visit with their friends. At home, they can go play with their friends when school gets out or go play with their co-op friends or have play dates with other homeschooling families when your school days are done. There's still an opportunity to get all those other pieces in that they would have at school at home, but it's a relief to be able to get the schoolwork done and then be able to open up those options to your kids to do handicrafts or go play when they're done with their schoolwork instead of sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for the next thing. And we're not knocking on public schools here. Not at all. You know, oh no, they got to do what they got to do to manage a classroom at 30. There's no judgment. I'm just saying that this is one of the perks of homeschooling is that when they get done with their schoolwork, they're free to go explore their interest at that point, which would be a lot more joyful for anyone. Well, and you know, also it's a lot more tailored to your child and a lot more concentrated work. So then when it comes to organizing your time, right? Now that we know what we're going to do with our yearly schedule, weekly schedule, kind of what our day is going to look like and how much time it's going to take, we're going to need to organize our time to be able to execute this plan. Because every minute you spend looking for a ruler so that you can do your graph paper project is a minute that you're losing your kid. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. checking out. They are going to get ready to go do something else. So having everything together and ready to go, it shows them that you're in charge, you're on top of it, you know what's going on, and that you're going to lead them through this process. So speaking of which, if you have more of an open and go type curriculum, it's really easy to pull the book off the shelf, open it to the page you're on, and then just read, oh, this is what we're doing today, and then teach the lesson. If you have something that's more self-directed, you're going to have to look at your outline and kind of iron out the details before you come into the lesson instead of trying to wing it when you're there because they can tell when you're winging it and then pounce on you like ravenous wolves on a weak <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> they really, so you want really to be ready to go. Um, just a tie, note tying back to our last episode, the more open and go tends to be a little bit more pricey because of that convenience, right? You're getting that convenience charge versus um, you can homeschool for free, but you're going to need to get the prep work in. And so oftentimes when I'm planning classes for my co-op class or for my home classes where I'm teaching the class in a one that I've designed myself, I will actually outline all of my classes during the summertime. So then that way I can just open up my own outline and then pull the things together and kind of create my own open and go curriculum. And then the last thing here, when you're kind of organizing your time, I just wanted to make a note on curriculum is that they do oftentimes have schedules or recommended schedules, you know, do this on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or whatever, and then you'll be able to get through it by the end of the year. And you can follow those, and it's a great way to keep yourself on track. However, you don't need to follow those. If your kid's struggling with a concept, you can hit pause on that curriculum and stay on that concept until they get it. Maybe pull in some other ideas from Pinterest or Teachers Pay Teachers or talk to your friends and say, hey, how did you teach the multiplication tables? We're just not getting it, right? And so then you can kind of stay on that concept until you're ready to move on to the next thing. And if you don't get to the end of the curriculum by the end of the school year, it is not the end of the world. You can either Mm -hmm. continue on with it the next school year, or sometimes you can just cut things out. Like if your kids aren't engaged in one part of the history lesson, but they are really engaged in another part, skip over it. Cover it again in your next history cycle. So you just have to remember that 
Curriculum is a tool. And so you're going to go at the pace that works for your family. So let's talk about space a little bit. Um, first off, you don't need to have a schoolroom. Okay. You, mm -hmm. it's nice. They're super pretty. Absolutely. Pinworthy Instagram. Heck yeah. Love it. But you don't have to have that to be able to homeschool. You don't. And I think that's actually every single person who starts homeschooling automatically goes to, I need to make this look like a schoolroom at a public school so that my children know that this is where we learn. You know, once again, it's not public school, it's homeschool, and it doesn't have to look that way, and your kids will still love school if you don't have a big homeschool room with maps on the walls and weather charts and, man, all the things. <laughs> right. I would recommend having, like, a cart or a bookshelf or a basket somewhere where you can have, like, the materials you're using on a daily basis handy and accessible. Mm -hmm. So just a place, you know, everything needs a place anyway. Everything has a place, put it away in its home, right? The same kind of concept. But exactly. having it accessible is super helpful when you're using the same school books or curriculum every day. But you don't need to necessarily have a whole room dedicated to it. My yeah. five-year-old, I think was at five at the time, we were learning letter sounds and he was just like rolling his eyes and like sitting in the chair and just not having it. And then he climbed up on the table, which I don't normally allow, but he climbed up on the table and started doing push-ups just to be silly, like just to try to make me laugh, which it totally worked, to be fair. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? He says, I'm so strong. I'm a reading man. And so we, I'm like, fine, reading man. Let's practice these letters. And so I put a little letter underneath him. And then he read it and did a push-up. So then I put another letter under him. And he read it and did a push-up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This child is actually learning better doing push-ups on top of my kitchen table than he was sitting at it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just a funny example. And no, I don't let my children run completely wild, contrary to popular belief. But in this instance, I don't care that he was doing push-ups on my table if he was actually finally learning those letter sounds that we've been trying to get into his brain for weeks, right? Like, yeah. you do what works. You do what works. Exactly. You don't need a desk. I think that's another thing is we're like, oh, I need a desk for my kid. Like, the beautiful thing about homeschooling is it's, it's everywhere. We will sit on the couch and read, or we'll take a blanket outside and read, or sometimes my kids are jumping on the trampoline, and kind of like Christina was saying, and I like quiz them as they jump, and you know, we don't even have desks in my house. We just do all of our school at the kitchen table or the couch for the most part. Yeah, same, same, same. Another thing we need is we need the room to like trace your body for a human body unit. Mm -hmm. We need room to play racing games as we review. In our family, we do a lot of physically active things with my boys. And so we need the room to be able to do that or to do the science experiments in the kitchen because it's a watery mess and I don't want that on my living room floor. So you kind of learn to kind of homeschool everywhere and learn what works best for you because some of the kids really are going to do better with their own space, like a little desk and absolute quiet mm -hmm. or maybe some classical music playing where they're not being distracted by their siblings. We have noise canceling headphones that I put on one of my kids because he just can't handle all of the movement in the rest of the house. So you got to kind of make it work for your kid, but oftentimes they'll find what works for them. You know, they'll find what's mm -hmm. comfortable and what works for them and what works for you. And when we do history, we listen to it on an audiobook and I let my kids play Legos. And I was a little hesitant at first because Legos can get a little rowdy at my house when you start fighting spaceships. 
But I explained to them, this is not a spaceship battle. This is a quietly build while we listen. And so then I turned off the audiobook. I said, okay, what did we learn about? And they like verbatim, like they told me the whole story that we had just heard and they paid attention perfectly. I'm like, you know what? I think them actually being able to physically move their bodies help them actually pay better attention in that circumstance. So yeah, be yeah, open. Exactly. And just a side note on like how to actually organize your books or your curriculum. There's a few different ways. You can just put it all on your shelf as you need. I like to take totes and each kid has their own tote and their books go in their own tote. So then when it's their turn, I say, okay, go get your tote. And that has their math book, their language arts book, any readers that they're working on, their handwriting. And that way it's all in the same space for them. But some people like to keep all of the math stuff in one space, all of the English stuff in another space. So it just make it work for you. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. So the last little section here for today is some tips from the pros. And I don't know that we could rightfully call ourselves pros, but we're yeah, no. let's roll with it, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. the first biggest, like biggest, biggest thing. Okay. You ready, y'all? Listen up. Biggest tip. Wake up before your children. I didn't say wake up at 5.30, although that sounds dreamy to me. All I'm saying is you need to be up before your children. The main point here is that they need to feel like you're in control, like you're mm -hmm. in control of the day and that you're awake and you're taking care of them and that you have got this and you're ready to rock and roll. And once you again, set the tone for the day. Exactly. You set the tone for the entire day. And like I said before, you know, ravenous wolves on a wounded rabbit, okay? If they sense weakness, then they're going to kind of just roll forward with their own plan and their own ambitions and kind of offset the day and start goofing off and not staying on task. And if you're not up to like make them breakfast and, or have them make their breakfast or whatever and start your morning routine, most children will not start the routine on their own. They're going to either get into things or start playing or start goofing off. And once they set off on that trajectory, it is so hard to pull them back and get started on a good routine. But it is what ensures success because life for children flows so much smoother in structure. Yeah, structure really, they've actually done a lot of studies on this, but structure is actually really important to a developing brain. And it, mm -hmm. it helps give them peace and stability and be able to kind of put up a framework for them to be able to organize their thoughts and their development from. So building structure and routine is super helpful for little guys. So we've already talked a little bit about having materials before they sit down. I think that's the main thing is just be ready so that you don't lose your kids. Don't give them opportunities to go run off, right? And so even when I give my kids breaks during the school day, if we're not done for the day, if I'm not like letting them go run wild in the fields behind our house, I tell them, okay, we're going to have a break and then we're going to do our math. I want you to run around the house two times and then come back or go jump on the trampoline and let me see how high you can jump or let's everybody have a milk and a cookie, right? But I keep, I give them a break, but it's very structured and within parameters so that they know that they're not free to go play and do what they want and that we're going to get right back to business. Yeah. Timers are your best friends. You know, say we're going to break for five minutes. And then when that timer beeps, you're not the bad guy who made them come in. It's the timer's fault. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Yeah, and I do that a lot too for my super analytical child where I give him transition. He, he's a reader. And so when he's reading, I know I hated it when my parent or my teacher said, okay, close your books. Let's do the next thing. I'm like, you cannot make me close my book right now. I've got to get to the next sentence, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I always tell them, I'm like, okay, I need you to wrap it up. And so he knows that's his cue to get to a stopping point. Or I'll say, get to a stopping point. Or in five minutes, we're going to go and do this other thing. And then for him personally, that helps him to be able to transition from one activity to the next with less stress. And so for some personality types, that can be a really helpful tool. And like the big one, guys, here's another big one. Take your notepad out. Increase your food budget. <laughs> like for real, that's one downfall to homeschooling. Okay. One check mark against it, guys. You're going to spend more money on food because mm-hmm. I swear kids eat three times as much food. Yes. They're home than when they're at school. Yes. Like your children turn into hobbits, you know, and they need they need second breakfast and they need eleven Z's and they need <laughs> you know, midday snack and, and it just is and so and actually I'm not very good at this, but my sister in law is and my kids went to Washington to spend a week with her and they all came home and they were like, did you know that auntie, we make breakfast and then we have a 10 o'clock snack, mom, and then it's lunch and then we have a three o'clock snack, mom, and then it's dinner. And like my kids just that blew them away that they knew exactly when they were going to get to eat. <laughs> you know, and when I'm on the ball and I do that with my kids, the day does actually go pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Like. But, you know, that's, once again, next level stuff, right? Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that a hangry child is not learning and can totally no. just explode your day. I have some kids that, dude, you cannot, you've got to feed these children or they're monsters, okay? Not all of them, but, you know, yeah. two of them, two of three. So I make sure, like, it got to the point when they were toddlers that I would carry snacks in my purse just for the fact that I didn't want them to explode in a public place with anger. <laughs> like, I was afraid <laughs> And I just like that's for this particular child, you know, feed that child. And so it also helps them with their attention spans, you know, so get them a good breakfast, keep them fed. You'll have a much happier life. When kids know what to expect, they do better. And that's just going to be one of the best things for you. When your children know what to expect and what is expected of them, you're going to get there. You really will. And I hope that this episode was able to help you kind of reframe the expectations that you have for your children and the expectations that you have for yourself. In our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about expectations, expectations that you have for yourself or expectations that you think that others have for you. Maybe some obstacles that come along with deciding to homeschool and how to overcome those obstacles so that you're able to get the most of this experience. As always, until next time, stay curious.